Right, we're we're uh, going to do a two-part series uh, on Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. As you see in the uh, bulletin entitled, A Passion for Christ, part 1 and part 2, Passion for Christ. I thought this would be an appropriate thing to end the year and to begin a new year. Uh, then we're going to have a four-part mini-series in... Uh, January on the Word of God as a further kind of entrance into the new year. And then we'll begin a series in February on 2 Corinthians. Uh, so that a uh, little bit of the uh, future in terms of our preaching. So Philippians chapter 3, if you want to use the Bible that's in the pew, the uh, you can turn to page 981. This is the Uh, English Standard uh, Version of the Bible, chapter 3, verse 1. Actually, we'll read just through verse 7 this morning. Uh, The verse 8 begins not only a new sentence, but more or less kind of carries on uh, as one long sentence after that. So we want to treat that as a whole next week. 1 through 7. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, Under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, we pray, bless us to believe your word and to live out your word, to embrace Christ all the more as he has presented to us in his glory to love him and cherish him above all else. Lord, bless us to that end by your spirit. Amen. 
A really interesting passage of scripture is Nehemiah, where they're building the wall, and yet they have to defend themselves against enemies that might attack them at any time. So it speaks of their having a trowel in one hand to build the wall and a sword in the other. There was an actual publication for a while called Sword and Trowel to indicate that we must be uh, defending the, the truth of God's word at the same time enjoying and, and eating and, and, and uh, embracing God's word, defending against heresy, but giving ourselves to the good word of God. Uh, like any boxer, if you are just throwing punches and not defending yourselves, you're going to be in trouble. Or you're just trying to defend yourself and you're not throwing some punches, you're going to be in trouble. And so this passage has both of these elements. We're going to look at, a, at it under just two headings. Yes, this is heresy. Just two points this morning, not three. Um, the first is going to be guard. That's taken from this word beware, look out or beware. He says it three times. Look out, look out, look out, or beware, beware, beware there in verse uh, two. And then the second is going to be glory. So the great defense of guarding ourselves against false doctrine. But as we'll see, one of the great ways to defend yourself is the offensive being a glorying in Christ Jesus. And we'll look at uh, that uh, more in some detail. So he says, uh, speaking really of the same people here, as he, he says, to beware of the dogs, the evildoers, and literally... For the mutilators or the mutilation. You see, that's how it would read in the original. The dogs, the evildoers, the mutilation. Now, it's hard for us to imagine because we spend probably billions. Somebody knows the figure uh, on our dogs here in America and they're beloved. But they were not the same in that culture, right? They're hateful, despised animals. They're the zoological lowlife uh, uh, scavengers. Um, they ate garbage. They ate human corpses. You might remember Jezebel. The dogs licked up her blood. They eat their own vomit. Okay? Think of hyena, hyenas. Not a kind-hearted chocolate lab. All right? But it became a religious term. And the Jews used it because the dog was considered an unclean animal. They used it to describe the Gentiles, the pagans, their dogs. And Paul is now calling the Jews the term they called the Gentiles. He's turning the tables on the Jews. And he's saying those who claim to be the people of God, pronouncing that the the pagans are dogs they are the dogs they are the dogs you're trying to make gentiles clean through circumcision and returning to the law but in doing so you have become unclean dogs you are outside the people of god with the pagans if you reject christ he calls them evil workers this is like a parody on those who would do mission work for God. 
to draw people to God, working for God, working for the people of God. He says, no, you're working against God. You're working against the true people of God, seeking to drag them away from God and thinking you're taking them to God by dragging them away from Christ. Any effort to separate you from Jesus Christ, Paul says, is evil. And it's from the evil one. It's in league with the evil one. Anything that would lessen your grip upon Christ, the central place that Christ would play in your life, your passion and adoration for Christ, your exaltation of Christ, the uniqueness of Christ, this comes from the evil one. And those who do so, Paul says, are evil workers. And then he uses the term mutilation. And it's a play on words in the Greek, as you probably have heard. Circumcision is the word peritome. That's when it says we are the real circumcision. All it just uses that one word. It doesn't say the real peritome. It says we're the peritome. We're the circumcision. We Christians are the peritome. They are the katatome. Tom, you get from appendectomy right? Or other cuttings of the body, but that's one we're most familiar with. It has that little tom in there. That's the cutting part, okay? So, this, this is a play of words like um, a man who was, went to Spain and he really hated his time in Spain. I'm not saying that Spain is a bad place. This is a particular guy at a particular time in history. And he says, yes, I went to Spain, all right, <laughs> all right? Or speaking of certain uh, uh, popes that were apostates, he said they were not uh, apostolical, they were apostatical. (laughs) You see, not apostolical, they were apostatical, they were apostates. And that's what Paul is doing here, this play on words. This this, the, the noun mutilation, the verb form of this is used in Leviticus 21.5 to, to forbid people from cutting yourselves like the pagans do in their religious practices. It's actually used in uh, 1 Kings 18 when it says that the prophets of Baal mutilated themselves and cut themselves before as they were praying to Baal to get him to notice them. Pagan cuttings. And so again, you see what Paul is doing. He's redrawing the lines and he's saying, you are the dogs. You're you're acting like pagans here. You side with the pagans. Your circumcision now is just mutilation. It's no better than pagan mutilation. Very serious thing for Paul to say, who himself was circumcised on the eighth day. And so... If you reject Christ, who is the fulfillment of circumcision, what does your circumcision mean anymore, you see? If if the Messiah of the Jews and the whole world has come and you reject Yahweh's Messiah, what does it mean that you have Yahweh's sign anymore? Because you've rejected Yahweh's great gift of Messiah. You've rejected Yahweh. And so this has become... For you, not for those who trust in Christ who are circumcised, but if you reject Christ, it's a sign and seal of your rejection of God. 
And you're no better off than the pagans, he says. So he is saying, beware of this false teaching of the Jews. Or as it might come to them uh, with Judaizers who would draw them away from Christ only. But to add to that, to say Christ is not sufficient. So circumcision, you see, pointed to the reality that only God could circumcise the heart. As we even prayed earlier when the prayer of Ambrose, take away from me the heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Deuteronomy 36, I will circumcise your heart to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. God is the only one that can change the heart. He's the only one that can take my cold, dull, hardened heart against him, unresponsive heart against him. This heart of stone, as it's described in Ezekiel, and make it into a heart of flesh that's warm, responsive, living, uh, giving itself up to God instead of hardened against God. See, that's the same kind of... Uh, imagery as used in Deuteronomy 36 to circumcise my heart so that I would love you with all my heart, soul, and mind. So that my heart is no longer stony, cold, dead, set against you, but it's warm and lively and submissive and eager for you. God only can do that. And so the sign of circumcision is a humbling sign for those that were given it. It's a declaration of your helplessness. It's a declaration of your need of God's salvation and the work that God must do. It's like born. We had a friend who was in the singles group in Park Cities. And we kidded him mercilessly. Because he was 37 years old and he married a girl who was 24. Well, that's not... You know, that's pretty wide-ranging. We have some in our midst that uh, have married that way. That's fine. But this was the kicker. She, because she had a heart valve problem early on as a child, at age 24, still went to the same children's hospital. Oh, we love that. <laughs> so you marry somebody that's going to children's hospital. Okay. But you see, it's like being born with a congenital heart defect. That's what circumcision declares to you. Spiritually, you've got a defect. You've got a major problem that will kill you. You must be rescued by God's inward work. But you see, the Jews turned this sign of circumcision into an assumption that they were so good that they didn't need the circumcision of heart. They could make it on their own. It became another merit badge that it's indicated how favored they were, how wonderful they were in the sight of God. Not a humbling sign. And you see this in Romans 9 where it says, Israel pursued a law uh, of righteousness, but they didn't reach that righteousness because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works. That's at the end of Romans 9. 
They've stumbled over the stumbling stone. So here Christ came to them, this stone in which they could depend and cast all of their sin upon him. And he would, he would take away their sin and he would renew them. But they stumbled over him because they weren't seeking it by faith, but as it were, on works. And as Paul says in Romans 4, circumcision is a sign of Abraham's faith. Abraham's dependence upon God. So circumcision is this wonderful sign of dependence upon God, of the need to, to be renewed by God. So he's saying that these uh, Jewish false teachers were trying to draw people away from faith in Jesus Christ. From Christ being the center of life and the center of their world. And it teaches us that religion can be a great way to reject God. Religion can be a great way to reject the true God. To concoct another God. To concoct another way to God. To establish means by which, by my own sufficiency and my own achievement, I can get to God. It's a great great way to keep him at arm's length with our performance. It's amazing because on the surface, my performance is to please him and to honor him. But it's really to reject him and despise him. Because he's a God of mercy. I don't want to admit that I have need, need of mercy. I don't want to admit that I've depended upon this God for my spiritual well-being, for my very morality and ethics, and I'm hopeless without it. I can't, I'm not going to say that about myself. No, I want to keep him at bay by creating another way to do this based on myself. It's offensive to us to be morally helpless. We're, to coin a term, heavenly helpless, helpless to get to heaven. And that's offensive to us. The cross is merit resistant. Okay? It's resistant to merit. It declares to you this was necessary for your rescue. The violent death of the Son of God was necessary for your rescue. And so the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilation would deny this central place of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a slap in the face when you present all of your good things to God, all the best that you've ever done, and God writes over it, the wages of sin is death. And sin infects everything that you've ever done. Everything that you've ever done. And so you have earned for yourself wrath and judgment and eternal death. As you present your good things to me. So we have this inerrant hatred against mercy and grace. And the goodness of God. And we reject that goodness of God. And so... I read a great thing from an old writer uh, on this passage, John Dale, writing in the uh, 17th century. 
He said this, that heresies come from the distaste that they have for Christ. Think of that. All heresy stems from a distaste for Christ. Every false doctrine, every false religion, they'll say he's a good teacher. They'll say he's a moral person. They'll say all kinds of things. But to say that he's the necessary means by which we get to heaven, the necessary means by which we can become people who are righteous in the sight of God, this is offensive and distasteful to us. Well, Paul, just a word here of what he says in verse 2 about these things. He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for you. He says, to say these things again and again, to keep repeating them is critical for you. It's critical for your safety. And so we must always be shoring up the defenses by digging, deeping, deepening the tracks of God's word in our life, uh, ever tightening the words hold on our life, ever brightening the glory of Christ to your heart, ever giving yourself to his healing and nourishment, his reconstruction and strengthening, always uh, glorying in Christ. And this is the great defense against uh, the enemy. Uh, at this point, as we go from guarding to glory, uh, any diet will tell you that you, it's not just going to be refusing to eat certain things. It'll kill you sooner or later, right? But the true success in a diet is you change your palate completely. You really develop a passion and a love for the foods that are best for you. That's impossible. Okay. <laughs> It apparently is possible. I don't know that yet, but it's apparently possible. Um, and, and this is exactly what he is talking about here, that we, uh, we are the real circumcision. We glory in Christ Jesus. But he really begins with this, or this is tied into the first thing he says, rejoice in the Lord. I would... Uh, set before you that rejoicing in the Lord and glorying in Christ are uh, the same thing said in two different ways. To rejoice in something, of course, is to be overjoyed at your experience of it or your ownership of it or your access to it, you see. You're overjoyed that you've experienced this thing or that you own this thing or that you have access to this. Overjoyed at a new ring you receive for Christmas. You keep looking at it. It's precious. It's important. It's valuable. You look at it and you love for people to look at it. You love for them to be amazed at it with you. And you can't rejoice in the Lord unless he's precious to you. And, and, and we're running up against here the, the hard, stony heart that we have. And Though this is fundamentally changed, there's a continual change that God has to bring about in our lives in order and a sustenance of this in order for us to 
continually count Jesus as precious to us. That's how helpless we are. I'll tell you the how-tos, but the real how-to is Jesus has got to do it through his Holy Spirit. That's why he says we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. We're the people who have had this change by the Holy Spirit. And this worship by the Spirit comes from a heart circumcision by the Spirit. Paul speaks of this in Romans 2. He says, no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly. Circumcision is not outward and physical. A Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And so it is the Spirit that has to bring about this change so that I can have the capacity to glory in Christ Jesus and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And worship... And, and so in this, in this way, rejoicing in the Lord means that He's precious uh, to us, that we have access to Him now forever to study Him and explore Him, to discover Him, to know Him, to delight in Him and admire Him. We rejoice in Him that He loved us so much that He died for us. We rejoice in His good purpose for our lives. We rejoice that He loves us in the same way as He loved us on the cross. All the time. We rejoice that he's with us. We rejoice that he governs all the circumstances of our lives and brings good to us no matter what our circumstance. We rejoice that he will come again for us so that we'll be with him forever. We rejoice that he's going to come and make all things new. There's much to rejoice in, in the Lord Jesus. But admiration is difficult for us to maintain. I don't know how many times you've done this. You're driving down the highway and maybe driven for a month. And then suddenly, one morning, you open up your eyes and say, look how blue the sky is. Look at those beautiful trees. Look at, you know, and you start. We, we, and, and it takes a kind of active admiration, doesn't it? Even in creation. We just take it for granted. People, you, you, you visit the... Uh, Rocky Mountains, and you're just blown away, and most people who live there don't even notice them anymore. Just the mountains. We can be like that with Jesus. We just, he's just Jesus. He just, yeah, he died on the cross. Yeah, I know that. I know, yeah, he rules the world. Yeah, he's coming again. Yeah, 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 yeah. You may say, well, that's a little brutal. I don't really, but sometimes our emotions are so dead, not enlivened, not gripping us, not causing awe, not causing wonder and amazement. Rejoice. We know what this is like, uh, husbands, right? Actively admiring your wife. You know, you're the assigned admirer of your wife. Like I can admire a few things. I can say, hey, your hair's nice today, or that's a pretty dress. That's about all I can admire, Right? But you can admire hundreds of things about her and get in detail and admire her every day and let her know I'm the admired one in his eyes. And he adores me and he loves me and cherishes me. He never stops talking about me. He admires what I do. That's what husbands are to do. And that's what that that must be cultivated. 
We'll have a class, yes, right after. <laughs> but you see, in that same way, actively treasure try Christ. Actively rejoice in Him. It's only then that w- when, when He is precious to us that we begin to defend the truth against Him. Because He's so precious to us. He's so important to us that we all the more defend against false doctrine against him. One missionary said one time that he thought that he would die if the heathen would not glorify Christ. He thought he would die. I cannot live unless they will glorify you. Because he so honored and so cherished Christ, it just tore his heart out that people would not cherish Christ. That is, one of my greatest desires is to see the vindication of Jesus in that last day. And I don't think it's always a pure desire. <laughs> you know, they'll get theirs kind of thing. But I do ache and long for everybody to recognize the beauty and glory of Christ. Oh, I long for that day. To recognize God as the creator. You know, the admiration that he deserves and you'll notice that this joy this glorying in Christ is connected with humility he says we put no confidence in the flesh this joy comes from helplessness glad dependence a glad childlike receiving of Christ and all that he wants to give to us It means if we don't have confidence in the flesh, we don't have confidence in our interpretation of events in our lives, hard events, failures of relationships, things that blew up in our faces and and we can't put confidence in the flesh, but we must glory in Christ, glory in His goodness, glory in His purpose, glory in His death for us. And so, all of these things, Paul says in verse 7, all of these things that were gained to me, I now see them as one huge loss, one whole loss category because this was blinding me to my need of Christ. Anything that blinds you to your need of Christ, blinds you to dependence on Christ, blinds you to the glory of Christ, And the best of things can do this if they become your gods. He says, I, whatever was gained, anything that stands in the way of the glory of Christ, I count it now as loss. And so we ask that question, what is blinding you? What is dulling Christ to you? What is dousing your passion for Christ? And realize in this giving up yourself to the precious Christ that no person profits who does not surrender to Christ. No person loses who surrenders everything to Christ. In losing Him, you'll lose everything, but by gaining Him, you lose nothing. Have you begun to treasure and value Christ above all else and count everything as loss that you might have Christ? Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would bless us that 
all the more in this season, we would rejoice in Christ and glory in Christ. That we would be utterly dependent upon you, Lord, to constantly renew us and enable us to give our lives up to you in worship. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would enable us to resist anything that would tear us away or lean us away from the Lord Jesus Christ and his beauty and glory, the one who gave up his life for us. Oh, bless us, Lord. We are entirely dependent upon you for the maintenance of this kind of awe, this kind of glorying in you, oh, Lord Jesus. Such we are. But we would fall helpless before you and ask you continually save us and rescue us, Lord, for your glory's sake. Amen.